Welcome to the Real Talk Education Podcast, where we dive into the real topics facing real teachers, leaders, and students with your host, Marlena Gross, EEI champion, national ed thought leader, and founder of EduGladiators. Each week, we will discuss the topics that might be keeping you up at night as an educator or parent. This is not an echo chamber podcast. We will unapologetically examine the real challenges in education, plus provide insights and tips to help you navigate all the things, including curriculum, leadership, DEI, student engagement, advocacy, misinformation, and more. Pop in your earbuds or crank up your speaker because it's time to have some real talk about today's topic. So I have a question for you. Have you heard of the fable, the elephant and the mouse? Well, in this episode of Real Talk Education, we are zeroing in on what is needed for teachers and leaders to move beyond just awareness of inequalities and biases and microaggressions, but to actual action to combat these issues. Hi, I'm Marlena Gross, your host for Real Talk Education, and in today's episode, we're going to dive into DEI awareness to action. Now, this particular podcast episode corresponds to the EduGladiators Twitter chat from October 1st that was titled Dismantling Bias in Schools. And as a quick reminder, for the month of October, our EduGladiators theme is Unapologetic DEI. And for us as educators, that means moving the needle. And this episode will really help you pull together about how you feel about bias, as well as give some tips on how to combat it. So let's join in the conversation. How can schools and districts move away from awareness rhetoric to visible action and addressing inequalities for students? Well, the first step is actually understanding bias, which is the root of our actions, both positive and negative. Facing our biases does not lend itself to easy conversations. Actually, according to Sarah Sanford and her recent book, Inclusion Inc., she shares that a minimum of four bias and or diversity training sessions per person is needed in the workplace to allow participants processing time to move away from simple awareness of their bias to implementation of actionable steps to mitigate or cancel the bias. So here's the thing, diversity or unconscious bias training is critical. It is a critical step in acknowledging unconscious bias and systemic racism that absolutely exists in the workplace. However, an interesting aspect of this type of training is simply learning about unconscious bias does not necessarily make us any better at recognizing it in ourselves. Don't believe me? Well, according to Harvard Business School, this type of training only makes us slightly better at recognizing instances of unconscious bias and racism in our peers. But this phenomenon is more pronounced the more prejudiced a person is. So let's think about that for a second. 
So a person who comes into a bias or a diversity training with the most prejudiced views is actually the most likely to leave that training thinking they are even more unbiased or more um, not engaging in racist behavior than they actually are. These folks actually pull their moral licensing card to defend their notion of bias and discriminatory actions and microaggressions. You know, and this might even sound like, hey, I have a black friend and I've been trained, so I know I am not engaging in any of these terrible things. So often when we think about DEI training sessions, diversity, equity, and inclusion, when a bias or racist situation is discussed and say there is a black person in the room, they're often asked if that is their experience, what's being discussed. Well, this puts that black employee, whether it's a teacher or a leader, in a difficult position because that black employee often has been sidelined or ignored or silenced when they attempt to bring up issues of microaggressions or biases that happen in the workplace. And the same can also be said for having different trainings or different um, social emotional learning lessons, SDL lessons in the classroom, and you only have maybe one or two uh, black students in that classroom. The same could be said, said for students as well. They're put in a very uncomfortable position because in that moment, that black teacher or that black leader or that black student has to decide if they should speak their truth and knowing that that will more than likely make their white coworkers or if they're students, their white uh, classmates uncomfortable. And if they do that, they absolutely are putting themselves at risk for suffering retaliation. Or does that black employee or that black student simply bite their tongue and affirm the moral license of their white coworkers or classmates? So after learning a little bit more about bias and diversity training and that brief sharing, you might be wondering if DEI training is even a solid strategy to help create that more inclusive learning space for students and workplace for uh, the adults that support them? The answer, in my opinion, is actually yes. And so uh, is that opinion in many others. However, training simply cannot be the only action that is taken to address bias, to address microaggressions to address racism or discriminatory practices uh, in a classroom, in a school, in a district, or in uh, a workplace in general. You can't just start and stop with training. Now, for all of my teachers and educators out there, we know how ineffective sit and get training actually is. And that is probably one of the number one um, issues we have with professional development. Is it something I can actually use? And will we come back to it so we can learn even more about what we might have learned on any particular day? So we know that a one-time sit and get is ineffective as educators. So having diversity and equity and inclusion training one time will not move the needle 
and addressing and mitigating and hopefully even canceling um, inequalities, biases, and microaggressions, uh, particularly um, for teachers and for leaders and for students of color that they might be experiencing, especially if they are in a predominantly white institution, also known as a PWI. So the answer in my opinion, is yes, we need to have that training. And there is tons of research that show that, yes, we still need to have it, but you simply can't stop at the training. You have to really think about how um, these different aggressions uh, and biases manifest itself in a school. So let's think about that for a second. When we think about how we address bias and Uh, any inequities in our schools. It's really about first understanding, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, if you are the elephant or the mouse in the situation, are you the elephant, which can be referred to as dominant culture, where you really don't need to know all the ins and outs of the mouse's world? Or are you the mouse, where you absolutely have to know every aspect of the elephant's world to keep from getting trampled and to be able to not just survive, but hopefully even even thrive in that world. Once you make that decision, if you are the elephant or the mouse, then you can unpack what biases you bring to any given situation, classroom, or even in your leadership position if you're a leader. Next, you have to make a clear plan Um, And even using SMART goals is effective. That is centered on actions that will take you uh, from visible, validating, needle-moving activity or take you to visible, validating, needle-moving activity. So as the kids would say, having SMART goals around the actions you'll take will help you produce the receipts. And that's really important especially when you're saying that you're doing X, Y, and Z or that your organization is diverse and inclusive and you value that, yet there are no receipts that are visible where people can see that, particularly uh, people from underrepresented communities. So whenever you are engaged in DEI work, you absolutely have to start with you really thinking about how you show up in a classroom or in leadership, if that's your role. And you have to be intentionally reflective of the biases you bring to that conversation, the power dynamics of who's the mouse, who's the elephant, and how you're interacting with students. There's hundreds of types of of biases. I mean, hundreds. But I want to bring your attention to another one outside of the unconscious bias that is also pretty dangerous, actually, depending on if you're the elephant or the mouse. And that second bias that I want to talk about is confirmation bias. Confirmation bias actually occurs most regularly in schools and in the workplace. And when we think about confirmation bias, what we're really talking about is the tendency to pay attention to information that only confirms what we believe about any given person or topic and ignoring all other things or people associated with that person or topic. So when we think about how do we address our own biases, uh, particularly confirmation bias, and being reflective of how we show up, 
we absolutely have to consider confirmation bias in addition to unconscious bias. And we have to be intentional in asking ourselves if we are only paying attention to the information that confirms what we think we know about a particular person, culture, or situation. Everyone has bias, our biases. I have biases. And it's deeper than just me being an LSU alum and my bias against all things Alabama, okay? Everybody has biases. The question is especially critical for anyone that's been called out by a minority group for engaging in microaggressions or um, simply bias and or racist or discriminatory practices. That question of your confirmation bias is critical to mitigating and canceling that behavior to create that inclusive environment. So in the show notes, I have a couple of resources for you actually, and hopefully these resources will help you move from deep awareness to operationalize action to create those receipts. So I just wanna take just a few moments to really share a little bit about the resources that are linked um, that you can use to create action, to create momentum, and having a truly diverse and inclusive learning space for your students and work environment for your colleagues and or employees, uh, depending on your leadership role. So the first resource that I've linked in the show notes is probably one of my favorite books focused on dismantling the illusion of DEI in the workplace. The Elephant and the Mouse is actually a book that was written by Laura Liswood, and it's a short read. And if you want to get this book, I would encourage you to do so because in it, Laura actually talks about how to break the illusion of diversity, equity, and inclusion with tips that easily apply in our situation as educators, as well as in um, corporate workplace. Now, another resource that's also listed in the show notes is Robin DiAngelo's latest book, Nice Racism. Her name might sound familiar because she wrote the book, White Fragility. Now, in this particular book, Nice Racism, Robin DiAngelo really dives deep into how progressive white people perpetuate racial harm and oftentimes with moral licensing and encourages white people, especially if they consider themselves to be progressives or or liberals or whatever the current term might be in your mind for this group, to really move beyond that defensive feeling and actually go into action. In um, the next um, episode or so, we will revisit Robin D'Angelo's work in Nice Racism. In particular, um, those who engage in Nice Racism and strategies to stop that harmful action. But you can certainly read ahead and I encourage you to. It is probably one of my new favorite books right now addressing um, racism and bias and microaggressions. So there's just two other resources I wanted to share with you about how we address bias and how we start working internally to address that bias or those biases. One of the books that I really love is called Blind Spot, Hidden Biases of Good People. 
Oftentimes when we think about DEI work and being reflective of our own bias, there is acknowledgement on some level by the person causing harm, even unconsciously. And that actually triggers what Robin D'Angelo would call fragility, white fragility, but it triggers feelings, particularly in white people, of being an inherently bad person. Like, don't say I'm engaging in this because my defenses are going to come up um, and there's no way via moral licensing that I'm being biased and I'm engaging in microaggressions or racist behavior towards uh, you or towards a person of color. So let's just calibrate very briefly on that term of racism. When you think about racism, it's important to understand that inherently, at least in the United States, that's all I will speak for because that's that's where I've, I've grown up and been. Although there is the diaspora of blackness that has similar um, similar uh, experiences. But in the United States, when we think about racism, all white people are inherently racist. And all people, white, black, and all colors in between, are biased. That might be hard for those of you that are listening that are white to sit with that. And if it is hard and you're wanting to react defensively, that is the white fragility that Robin D'Angelo speaks of in her first book and also dives deep into her second book in Nice Racism. So let's calibrate on racism once again. When we think about racism, the very definition of racism is being in a position of power to act on those biases on another person, of especially of color, because race, we're talking about color. We created that in the United States. We created black, we created white. That is in our constitution. We created that. Um, so when we think about racism, it's about being in a position of power, either socially or societally or positionally. So blind spot is really helpful and impactful and also conversational because not only is it a quick read and an easy read, but it examines those biases and or uh, racist uh, behaviors and affirms that it does not make you a terrible person necessarily. For instance, you can still be a good person and have biases because we all have biases. You can still be a good person and actually engage in harm to someone that is different from you. But you can be a better person by being both aware and taking intentional actions to create a more inclusive space, whether that's for your students or whether that's for your your colleagues or for your teams. So finally, the last resource that I'll share with you was actually also a New York Times bestseller. And, and all of these books that I've shared are New York Times bestsellers. Just an interesting note. But the last book, I really enjoyed that. I had uh, someone share this book with me and I ordered it and uh, went through uh, both the guided journal that comes with it as well as reading the book. This book is called Me and White Supremacy. Combat Racism, Change the World, and Become a Good Ancestor. And in this particular book, and it's also linked in the uh, show notes, 
It's probably probably my favorite because when we think about the work needed to address and to assess our own biases, particularly if you are a white person in our country, the guided journal companion in particular really pushes your thinking as a white person with very clear and poignant questions about what you need to do to dismantle bias and inequities and how to see those things first and then what you need to do. Because here's the thing, you can't challenge what you don't understand and you can't dismantle what you can't see. So in this particular book, Me and White Supremacy, it really does a fantastic job of bringing in the questions that need to be asked about how to process white supremacy. How do we process that history? And what actions do we need to take to be better, right? If you're a black person or a person of color reading this book, you will still find it uh, very uh, insightful and impactful because it will affirm the things all the things that you are probably experiencing to one degree or another uh, each and every day. So before we wrap our discussion in this episode on DEI awareness to action, I just want to share a few tips that actually work that are evidence-based in leveraging those cultural levers and to create more equitable learning and work environments. So I know I give you a ton of information, uh, a ton of links to books that will definitely help get you started and help you continue. But the first thing you need to do is work with an expert who truly knows this work. I will be very honest that there is always tension between if you are a white person wanting to engage in this work, do you go to a black person that is an expert in this field or do you go to a white person that is an expert in this field? I think that is uh, definitely a conversation that we'll have some friends come on and help uh, unpack that. The bottom line is you have to get an expert who truly knows this work. The links that I've shared with you could be a great starting point, especially if you're thinking about bringing uh, folks in and trying to figure out what is your full plan to be and to create a more inclusive environment. Um, I've done this for several years around uh, DEI work and helping schools and districts. Um, and it's even hard because even though I've done this, I have the receipts, if you will, for it. Even in my uh, current position, I still experience many of these things. And so it doesn't end because my color is my color. I was born black and, and will die black. That is who I am. And I embrace it and I'm proud of it. Um, but that journey is continuous when we think about DEI work. And it helps to have an expert help you figure out what you need to do. What I will tell you is that one of the most offensive things that you can ever, uh, particularly to a black person, because I feel that is still one of our country's original sins with slavery and the systemic racism that not just followed continues to, to be an issue even today, is there is nothing more offensive than a white person telling a black person how they should feel about what they're experiencing and being an expert, saying that they're an expert around it when they will never truly understand. 
Um, so I just want to put that out there for you to consider. The second tip that I have for you and how you can uh, leverage uh, some of these tips and some of the discussion from today to create a more uh, inclusive workplace as well as classroom learning environment is to form a comprehensive equity strategy that does not stop at recruiting. Now, one of our chats for our, our Edu Gladiators Twitter chat towards the end of the month is about recruiting diversity. But when you're thinking about engaging in this work to create a more inclusive environment um, and a more inclusive learning space, you cannot just say we're going to just hire different people, hire people from um, underrepresented groups. There has to be a strategy of retention and development. And that strategy can't be just for the black person or the underrepresented person and how they understand your organization or your school or your district. It has to be for you as well. So form a comprehensive equity strategy around uh, creating uh, an equitable and inclusive and diverse uh, workspace. Lastly, look at your data. Look at your data. And look at your data through an intersectional lens, okay? There are, there are diversity and equity issues from just male to female. But when you look at it through an intersectional lens, looking to see what other identities belong to that male or female or to those male or female groups or the other groups for folks that may not identify gender-wise as male or female. Um, when you think about those different dynamics, that has to inform, that data has to inform your comprehensive equity strategy. I think about all, I've worked in many, many states and Everywhere I've been, we've always had some type of improvement uh, district or school improvement plan we always had to submit to the state. And it was pretty detailed. And honestly, in some places, it was just something to do as a check mark. Your DEI strategy cannot be just a check mark like your school improvement plan or your district improvement plan. It needs to be comprehensive. It needs to be thoughtful and engaging and listening to those that belong to marginalized groups as to how to move forward. And that's where having that expert really helps and using that data to help inform your strategy, much like we would use data to help inform our instruction. As edu gladiators, we must initiate and facilitate productive, honest conversations about root causes of our biases, whether it's unconscious or um, confirmation bias, and there's many, many more, and the impact that those biases have in our interactions with our students, with our parents, with each other as colleagues. So I do hope that you enjoyed this episode of Real Talk Education and our focus on DEI awareness to action. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share the link wherever you listen to the podcast. Um, even as you're listening, take a screenshot and put it in your stories on Facebook or on Instagram and tag Gladiators. And we'd love to hear your thoughts, what you thought about the episode 
and continue to spread the good word of how we're going to always have real talk about the real things, the real issues uh, that's facing um, us in education um, from our different positions, as well as our students and our families. And don't forget each Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, we have our Edu Gladiators Twitter chat and our theme for October is Unapologetic DEI. And you can look at episode number uh, one, actually, of our Real Talk Education to see in the show notes exactly what the titles of the different chats will be for each Saturday. So I hope to see you in the Twitter arena on Saturday, and I hope to see you back here for another episode of Real Talk Education. Mm -hmm.